ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. In a moment, you'll hear the incredible story about a Territory cattle producer who survived a croc attack by literally biting back. He shook me straight away, shook me like a rag doll, and he took off in the water about three metres, pulled me. I kicked him in the ribs and, and managed to have a bite. Also today, the tiger prawn season in northern Australia has ended a few weeks earlier than usual. What is going on? You'll find out soon. And there's a worker strike happening today which looks set to impact Australian abattoirs. And the industry is not impressed. You know, we're very upset of being used as a bargaining chip with the federal government by the CPSU. Never spoke to us, never engaged with the industry that they're going to impact. Frankly, you know, this is unions gone wild. A big show today. I hope you can stick around. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC. And g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. First up today... I've got a very Northern Territory tale about survival to share with you. It's about Territory cattle producer Colin Devereaux from Twin Hill Station, who was attacked by a 3.2 metre saltwater crocodile last month. He managed to escape by literally biting back. I spoke to Colin as he was getting ready to leave hospital. Here's his story of what happened. Well, I was going to do a fencing job in the morning on Pinnace River, down near the coast, probably inland about 15k up the river. And um, there's a couple of billabongs near the house, and the north, no, the east side one is only about two foot deep. In the middle, there's a big couple of hundred yards around the outside of it, and the water was all receded after the wet season down to... Milo water, real dirty water, so you couldn't see. But as you start off walking from the bank in, it's only two or three inches deep. It gets gradual, gradual, gradual over to the middle. But what I could see driving past that water with my fancy gear on was um, fish tails and that, and the last bit of water out in the middle. And uh, I walked over, spotted them with a view to going back with a stick or a spear or something and cracking a few on the head. And uh, it didn't take long to work out something was there, and I left. Started walking, took two steps, and the dirty bastard latched onto me, my right foot on the instep, sort of, as I threw a foot forward. And it was a big grab, solid, and um, he shook me straight away, shook me like a rag doll, and he took off in the water about three metres, pulled me, and I was sort of trying to drag the foot back so he wouldn't go too far, and when he stopped pretty quick, I jumped in the air and kicked him in the ribs behind the front shoulder with my left foot, which was hard to do because he had all of my foot. So I got a short kick in. And you're in the water at this stage? Yeah, no, I'm in the water, mate. I'm out in the middle there. So um, he's, I kicked him in the ribs and I fell over. When I landed, my left leg went underneath me out the back. I was on my knee 
leaning forward, just sort of half accidental, but we had with momentum, went down towards his head, his head, and I managed to have a bite. But I was in an awkward position, and I actually missed most of what I was biting at. It was all heavy head, heavy bone. And my teeth slipped up, and I got all of the eyelids. Probably by accident, I think. And his eyelids were pretty thick. I mean, it was like holding leather. And I jerked back on that, and I had about a second go past, and he let go. I just, I just leapt away from him pretty awkwardly, but I rolled twice and took off, just stood up and took off with great steps up towards the billabong where my car was. He chased me, I think, three or four metres, maybe four, but then stopped because I did have a good look over my shoulder, by golly. So anyhow, I roared up to the hen camp, climbed the stairs, wrapped a towel around, I got a bit of telecom rope that was on the veranda and tied it all up tight and managed to get the bleeding stop straight away. And uh, my brother came out from Berry Springs and got me into Palmerston pretty quick. So that was about it, mate. That was it. Uh, how were you on arrival at the hospital? Was it losing a bit of blood? Uh, yeah, no, I was, no I'd, I'd had all the block of blood stopped with the rope. It was stopped. There was nothing leaking out at all. So I did well there. And um, and I had it up in the dash of the Toyota all the way in, you know, up high. And it was pretty painful, but it was getting painful by the time I got there. It was painful when I got up the stairs of the house, I think. And but you... it was pretty damaged. I, I think it hit two toes. What do you call it? The... Um, Tendons that attached to the two first toes and damaged up to, I think he said 10 to 15% of it got damaged with two tooths laying down on them, dead square, um, and two big slashes, just about full length of the foot. Oh, not quite a couple of inches short of one, one end. And uh, the skin died in the middle, so they had to pull all the skin off. They bloody put a few staples in right around it, try to keep it all hanging right. And then they, um, oh, some 14 days later, it took that long. I had mud in it and that. They had to clear all the mud out because of the bad bacteria from the Billabong water itself. Goose shit, duck shit, and crocodile teeth. The crocodile shit and crocodile teeth marks. They were going to be my bacteria around it. Yeah, and this was all in your leg and foot. Yeah, it was. It was riddled, opened up that bad. It was. You could see the black of the silt of the bloody mud in there. And in amongst that mud, this is microbial fungus and that got in there. They reckon, and um, so they had to spend a lot of time. I think it was over nearly 10 days flushing it. So it was hard going for a while in here for me, I tell you. And so and then, how are you uh, now? Are you getting ready to walk out of hospital? Well, I took the bandage off this morning. I got a skin graft about four days ago, five days ago, from above my knee. I put a big patch across the hole. I've pulled it up real good, and the whole thing was in good order when we put the skin graft on, like it was sort of joined together with all the staples and that. And they just laid a big skin patch over top of the holes, which was all pulled together really good, and um, pulled the bandage off this morning, and the grafts are sitting on there real good. And a little bit of piebald colours on it, but the old doctor re- reckoned it was very very um, heartening to look at so far. So you got your leg? You got your five toes? Yeah, I have, mate. I'm sitting here with my foot up, and I'm... Um, <laughs> I'm bending my toes. I can bend my toes. I can get feeling in all my toes, and I'm bending them just a little bit. It's not that sore. I mean, walk around on just one side of my foot for about five days on that damaged side, just going to the toilet and that. So I was, I mean, the pain went away pretty quick. Yeah, and they reckon they might let me out. Have another look at it tomorrow, and they might let me out tomorrow. Mm, I was pretty crook there for a while. I had someone call me and say, you've got to speak 
to Colin Devereaux, got attacked by a croc and bit the thing back. Well, I had no choice. Yeah. I had no choice. And it all happened, like I said, in about eight seconds I worked it out. It wasn't long, but just the way things rolled. If he had bit me somewhere else, it would have been different, I think. But he, was, he ended up being 11 foot long, and he was really in his prime. He was fat as a fool. He won't be doing it again. So you reckon 11 but, foot, what, three, three and a half metres or so? About 3.2, I think. I don't know, sure. But anyhow, it means I've got to change what I do. I've been walking around in too much water for a long time out in that swamp country, fixing fences and just living life. And um, I don't my eyes up. We're looking down on that dirty bastard. Um, he had everything his way. You couldn't see him. And obviously he was serious. Well, I shouldn't have went out that far. I had a gun in the car, but when I was thinking about it, the gun wouldn't have helped as a rifle. It wouldn't have helped. It was too too long and too awkward, you know, how he, how he bit me. And too quick, mm. I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was nasty. Could have got my arm or my guts, you know. So I'm a changed man. I'm going to change what I do. <laughs> and every piece of water made out in our country, Eddie, has got a crocodile in it or a track leading away from it. We've had so many people calling up wanting to know how you are, Colin. So it's been lovely to hear your story. I'm so pleased we're here talking to you because this could have ended terribly. <laughs> <laughs> it could have. Yeah. It could have. That's Colin Devereaux from Twin Hill Station. What a story, hey? What a story. And we wish him all the best in his recovery. It is 20 to 1. This is the Country Hour. There's some strike action on today which looks set to affect Australian abattoirs. The industry is not impressed. You'll hear all about that next. Hello there. My name's Norm Hedich from Taruna Proprietary Limited and we're Spanish mackerel fishermen in the Northern Territory and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. The Australian Meat Industry Council says strike action from some workers will cause disruptions at abattoirs around the nation that could take days to resolve. Government on-plant vets and also meat inspectors that are members of the community and public sector union will strike for one hour at the end of their shift today and they'll do it again on Friday. It's part of roll-in action the CPSU is taking after members rejected the federal government's last offer of a 11.2% pay increase over three years. Amex Chief Executive Patrick Hutchinson, he's not impressed. He says the meat processing sector is collateral damage in these negotiations. Meat cannot be inspected on behalf of our international markets as per our requirements to export to them. And so we will either have to put that product onto the domestic market, which is already burgeoning under the weight of uh, huge livestock increase in um, supply, or we'll have to close for an hour, or we'll have to go and then eat into overtime, which is quite incredulous considering the fact that um, those people who will then be taking that strike action will then be uh, having to work overtime where they get paid more. So inevitably they just almost get paid twice, which has got to be exceptionally galling to our members. Does a one-hour stop have that much of an impact, though? Isn't that like an extended lunch break? Uh, far from it. You know, we're very upset of being used as a bargaining chip with the federal government 
by the CPSU, never spoke to us, never engaged with the industry that they're going to impact, never spoke to the department themselves. Frankly, you know, this is unions gone wild uh, as as in within this process. So, uh, you know, stopping for an hour on a factory where, you know, if you're a lamb processor of a certain magnitude, you could be processing 10 a minute. All of a sudden, you know, that's a number of lambs that you then can't process within that hour especially if you're bulk export. We've got 86 registered export establishments in this country. They uh, run 92 chains, uh, utilising 94 shifts. So there is a lot at stake here. And when you are processing, boning, packaging, and then loading out uh, product in that way, these are highly attuned manufacturers. So turning a factory off for an hour is akin to basically turning it off for six hours, trying to get everything back to um, back to functionality again. And so does the whole plant have to stop with those two positions out? So we're talking about meat inspectors and on-plant vets, or can the processing continue uh, without them on site, or does everything it, come to a stop without those two roles? Look, the processing can continue if it's going onto the domestic market or can be diverted to the domestic market. But these are high, highly functioning factories that have multitudes of brands. They are processing a multitude of different types of livestock uh, at any one day or at any one time, going underpinned by a multitude of brands and specifications, going to a multitude of markets. So it's not as simplistic as just saying, oh, well, they're not here, so we can just keep processing and they can come back. So if you are heavily slated towards uh, export markets, then them not being there means you can't process. Did we get a call or any any information in regards to their strike? No, we didn't. So that's the the sheer lack of respect that this union has shown our industry. Uh, and at a time when farmers are struggling and trying to get livestock off farms and everything else, this has a knock-on effect that can last not just for hours but for days trying to get back into uh, a rhythm so do so, you think producers will feel the effect of it through prices and reduced capacity? I think what pr- producers will find is that it, it, it's not necessarily about a reduction in price. What it is is producers may be sending livestock in on those days or days around that and they will have to wait another week, another 10 days potentially, while in, you know while companies then reset themselves. So is uh, there an animal welfare risk in, in terms of that? Absolutely. So, And that's what I'm saying is that this, uh, this union has been exceptionally reckless in their process. We're collateral damage. They should be taking it in-house and managing it there accordingly. That's what I wanted to ask was uh, when uh, industries are fighting for better pay or better conditions, a strike is the normal action. Was there another way for them to achieve this? Absolutely, by doing it in-house. Don't forget, they're impacting a third party here. We are not party to these negotiations. Anyone who wants to strike within the processing sector over an EBA or whatever else, is doing that employee to employer. We don't employ these people, but they have to operate within our facilities in order to ensure that we meet the requirements of our export markets. Patrick Hutchinson, who's the Chief Executive of the Australian Meat Industry Council, speaking to Lydia Burton. The Department of Employment and Workplace Relations as well as the Department of Agriculture, have been contacted for comment but did not provide anyone. In a statement from the union, its National Secretary, Melissa Donnelly, said union members would continue to apply pressure to the federal government until a revised pay offer 
was on the table. Hi, I'm Melissa and I work at the Catherine Research Station and we're just down the paddock at the moment having a look at some of our trial cattle and you're listening to the NT Country Hour. And still on meat, it's no secret that some farmers have been getting as little as $1 a kilo for their lambs this year and yet when you go to the supermarket, consumers are paying over 40 bucks a kilo for lamb cutlets. What's going on? It's been one of the big stories of the year. Well... Woolworths has announced that it will cut the price of several lamb products by 20% starting today. There's an expectation that other retailers will follow suit. The Federal Ag Minister Murray Watt has welcomed this announcement by Woolies, but still has questions on why it didn't happen sooner. Yeah, look, I I think I really empathise with uh, sheep and cattle producers because we've seen prices for both commodities fall significantly in recent months. Uh, And I think it's been very frustrating to those producers to not see that reflected in supermarket prices. So over the last few weeks, I've actually been calling on the retailers to do the right thing, um, that if prices are lower at the farm gate, then they should be reflected at the supermarket shelves as well. And, you know, I think we all recognise that there are additional costs incurred between the farm gate and supermarkets, transportation, processing costs, all those kind of things. But I think everyone was getting a bit jack of seeing such a big discrepancy between the prices farmers were getting and what they were having to pay at the supermarkets. So I'd now like to see the other big retailers join Woolworths and pass on those reductions. Uh, and, you know, without with, with any luck before too long, we'll see producers getting better prices as we work through the sort of oversupply um, that we're seeing in the market at the moment. Do you think you may have played a role in Woolworths' decision here? Oh, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to, to sort of claim that, Warwick, but, you know, I thought it was important as the Minister to deliver a message to the retailers that they do need to meet community expectations. You know, I think traditionally it's always been a few months between seeing livestock prices fall and, and seeing supermarket prices fall, but, you know, I, I was keen to use my position to put a bit of pressure on the retailers and I'm pleased that one of them's responded. As I say, I'd now like to see the other ones do the same thing. Woolworths are dropping the price by 20%. Indicators are around 40 to 50% lower than, say, their peaks in March earlier this year as well. Is there is there room for more price drops or price cuts at the retail yeah. level? Yeah, I think, I think there is, Warwick, as time goes on. And I think we recognise that... Um, the prices are being a bit held up at the retail level also by stocks uh, that are already held um, that, and forward contracts that retailers entered into with producers and processors when prices were higher. But as we see those figures change, again, I would like to see those prices come down for consumers. I think all of us understand that Australians are feeling real cost of living pressure at the moment. We've been doing what we can as a government in trying to pass on energy rebates and cheaper medicines, cheaper childcare, things like that. But you know, if we can do more around food and grocery prices for Australians, that'll really help a lot of family budgets too. That is the Federal Ag Minister Murray Watts speaking to Warwick Long. Last year, ABC Gives raised an amazing $1.5 million for Australians in need. This year, we're teaming up again with our charity partners to raise that amount and more to help people in your local community struggling to cope with rising living costs. There's big need out there and Australians have big hearts and generous spirits. So join with us and help brighten your community. ABC Gives. Head to abc.net.au slash gives to donate today. Uh, hi, it's Dwayne Klinkamer here on board the Austral Hunter, part of the Northern Prawn Fishery and we're in the Mooring Basin or better known as the Duck Pond in Darwin. 
and you're listening to The Country Hour. And on the topic of prawns, the season is over in the Gulf of Carpentaria. So all of the trawlers who have been out there catching tiger prawns, they're back at port and they're back early. Now, why have they come home early? I'll tell you all about that soon on The Country Hour. Our text number is 1057 Got a message from Sprinkles who says, Matt, any chance I can get Colin Devereaux over to Bino Harbour to bite a few of our crocs and move them on? Says Sprinkles. Wow, if you missed the start of the country hour, you missed an epic tale from Colin about being attacked by a crocodile, a 3.2 metre salty, and biting back, escaping, surviving... Uh, That interview will be up on our podcast later on today. It was a beauty. Let's turn our attention now to the resources sector, a bill that would allow Santos to push ahead with its plans to develop a carbon capture and storage project in the Timor Sea is being debated in federal parliament. Dan Fitzgerald joins me in the studio. He's been listening in on this debate. Uh, Dan, what can you tell us about this proposed sea dumping legislation? Well, Matt, the sea dumping legislation does a, a number of different things, but the most important thing it does is for allowing greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide to be moved across Australia's international boundaries for both import and export. So this legislation, it does bring Australia into line with some international protocols, but it's really crucial for gas company Santos and its plans to turn the almost empty Bayundan gas field into a carbon capture and storage project, which would take CO2 from its proposed Barossa field Mm -hmm. and then store it deep under the sea floor. Now, carbon capture and storage projects, they're already allowed in Australian waters, but the Bayou Undan is a little bit different because it's in the joint management area with Timor-Leste and Australia. So uh, There's this, no legislation at the moment to allow it to cross the border. Yeah, so this legislation would allow the pumping of CO2 across boundaries to happen. Uh, this bill, it's been pretty heavily criticised by the Greens and the independent Senator David Pocock. Uh, Let's have a listen to Greens Senator Peter Wish-Wilson speaking in the Senate. He says that this bill will allow for more fossil fuel production to go ahead. This legislation is a naked and shameless attempt to facilitate the dirtiest fossil fuel project in our nation's history, the Barossa offshore gas project in the Timor Sea. This is state capture at its finest. This is the Labor Party and the Liberal Party coming together to do a favour for Santos, one of Australia's biggest polluters. This technology, carbon capture and storage, has not worked at any commercial scale around the world in our oceans. Even if it works, the best we can expect is that these projects will store scope one emissions. Emissions at the site. What about scope two emissions when this gas and these fossil fuels are burnt in our power stations? What about scope three emissions when all this gas, this LNG, is exported overseas 
and burnt overseas. That doesn't even come into the equation. Peter Wilson, he's a Green senator for Tasmania, speaking there in the Senate against the sea dumping legislation. Now, the government says that carbon capture and storage is a crucial thing that's needed if we are to move towards decarbonising a lot of industries, including the gas industries. Uh, Labor Senator Karen Grogan, uh, she spoke in favour of this bill. CCS plays a unique role amongst a portfolio of emissions reduction technologies as it can address emissions from existing facilities, mitigate emissions from hard to abate industries and support low carbon hydrogen production and underpin large scale carbon removal. Net zero by 2050 is this government's unequivocal priority in a fight against global warming. This is a critical aspect to us reaching that goal. Karen Grogan, she's a South Australian senator for the Labor Party. Uh, This bill, it is still in the Senate at the moment, but it is expected to pass with the support of the coalition. Okay, thank you very much for keeping us up to date, Dan. And did I see you earlier? Big package, putting in a ABC Rural Stubby Holder, putting in a rare country hour tea towel. For our friend Curly, who won the sweepstake yesterday, the Melbourne Cup sweepstake. Yes, Curly was lucky enough to pull out without a fight, which took out the Melbourne Cup yesterday. So uh, that is in the mail to Curly right now. Curly from Woolner. Well done. Yep. Well done. They're rare as hen's teeth, those oh. stubby holders. And, and the uh, limited edition tea towel. I mean, that's living. All right, thank you. And well done, Curly. G'day, I'm Brad Inglis from Sturt Plain Station, south of Dunmara on the Stewart Highway, and you're listening to the NT Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. And to all Optus users, welcome back. (laughs) Sounds like services are gradually being restored after a nationwide outage. On our text line 0487 991057, Alan Humpty Do says, Matt, Cash will be the new norm as technology fails again. How many people lost out today because of this Singapore company Optus? Reckons Al in Humpty Doo. Mm. Uh, in a moment, we're going to find out how aquifer levels are faring in Darwin's rural area. And we'll also be talking prawns before 1.30. The tiger prawn season is over, but it's wrapped up a bit earlier than normal. Why is that? Let's go to the Weather Bureau this afternoon. Rebecca Patrick is there. How are you, Beck? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Matt. Have you heard the story about Colin Devereaux surviving the croc attack? No, I haven't. You missed it. Oh, oh, it's one of those classic territory tales. And thankfully, (laughs) he's alive to tell it. I'll I'll share with you 10 seconds of his story. Have a listen to this, Beck. He shook me straight away. shook me like a rag doll. And... He took off in the water about three metres, pulled me. He, I kicked him in the ribs and, and managed to have a bite. How's that, Beck? Dragged into the water by a 3.2 metre salty, kicked it, bit it, managed to get away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? <laughs> and he's had to spend about a month in hospital, though. It, um, yeah, it did a right. number on him. But, um, yeah, thankfully he's around to tell the tale. Uh, weather-wise, I think there's been a bit of rain out at uh, Twin Hill. 
station where Colin's from, but also a bit of lightning. What, let's talk rainfall. What, what has there been in the last 24 hours? Yeah, it has been a little bit around. Um, so yesterday we had those storms, uh, Western Top End um, and also parts of the the Tanama and Lasseter district um, mainly. But in terms of rain falling in gauges, uh, the highest to 9am this morning was Adelaide River West with 24 millimetres um, and yeah, a few other around that 10 to 10 to 20 millimetres around the northwestern parts of the, the top end yesterday. Um, today we're just seeing a few storms popping up south of Darwin. Um, Dundee uh, Beach looks like it might be getting a drop as we go to air. Yeah, it does look like that. Um, so, yeah, just a few isolated storms with that sea breeze um, pushing a little bit of extra moisture in um uh, around at the moment, Charles Point has got two millimetres, but um, yeah, there's still a bit more potential for some more this afternoon, um, probably right across the Daly District and into the Arnhem District as well. Um, and then further south as well, um, there's a potential for through the, the Tanamai and Lasseter District as well, and perhaps part of the um, the Simpson District. Okay. Again, they'd love rain. They just don't want the lightning that's associated with some of these storms. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't uh, can't give too much good news in terms of, of high rainfall numbers. Yeah. Probably not expecting too much out of that through those southern areas. Mm. Um, yeah. So not so good news for the, for the fires down there. There's still... Nasty fires burning in parts of Central Australia and the Northern Tenamai, a lot of bad fire there that's starting to move into some well-known cattle stations. What are conditions like for those fighting fires? Yeah, uh, winds are not too strong um, at the moment, which is good news, although they have picked up a little bit in the Alice Springs area. Um, over the last couple of hours, uh, northerly winds, so that is bringing a bit of smoke in towards town. Um, uh, but, yeah, generally northerly winds across the southern areas um, and over the uh, the Gregory and Tanami districts, a little bit lighter winds. There's a trough in the area over there, so um, that's that's probably helping things a bit, hopefully, for fighting those fires. Yeah, and what's the forecast like for the next week for those areas in terms of wind and heat? Yeah, so at the moment um, we've got quite hot conditions, particularly through the Barclay district, Gregory district uh, and the Simpson district uh, where we're seeing those temperatures um, getting up around that 40 degree mark. Uh, the good news is we are expecting um, showers and storms to spread a bit further across the territory from tomorrow. So most places will be getting a bit of a drop, uh, even if it's not too heavy right across the board. Um, and with that comes a bit more cloud cover uh, and also cooler temperatures. So, um, yeah, that's something at least, um, that bringing those temperatures down um, and not too strong winds, although they could be um, a little bit windy through the Barclay tomorrow as well with those northerlies. Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? Um, just with those storms could be a bit gusty under those. That's also probably not such good news for, for 
fires if they are happening in the area. Um, but yet nothing, um, nothing too severe at the moment, which is, is good news. Okay, thanks so much for your time. No worries, thank you. That's Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. Just looking at the NAFI website this afternoon uh, to the Hayes family around Alice Springs. I hope everything's okay. Certainly the last week or so has just been awful for you in terms of fire. And there must be a lot of hard work going on at places like Newcastle Waters, Dungowan and Murrunjai Station because there's some big fires there in the north Tanami uh, that are pushing north and getting very close and at some parts of the map, sort of getting into some of that cattle country. So to everyone out there this afternoon, wishing you all the best. Tales from the Tinny. Throw them out, slowly bring it back. If there wasn't Barra there, you wouldn't be there, but that's that's what makes the Territory special. You can see 54 set of eyes around. 54 Crazy. sets of croc eyes. I'm not even exaggerating, there's that many crocs. Subscribe to the podcast. Minister, what's your biggest Barra? Minister, can you demonstrate your proficiency at tying an FG knot? Minister, are you capable of re-spooling your own reels? Minister. A fat is <laughs> Or reel it in anytime you like on the ABC Listen app. G'day, my name's Trevor Derling. I work for Power and Water and you're listening to The Country Hour. And once a month here on The Country Hour, we like to check out how groundwater levels are faring in Darwin's rural area. We're getting close to the middle of November. Adrian Costa is the NT's Director of Water Assessment. How are things looking, Adrian? Uh, look, Matt, uh, we've had no significant rainfall for around about six months now. Um, our last significant rains were in April um, and our monitoring team went out there in mid-October. So things are still continuing to drop. Um, the Howard systems dropped by another metre this month um, and we're looking about three to five metres drop from last year and that's on account of the early onset that we had last year. Um, but what our monitoring this year wouldn't have picked up is those uh, bursts that we've seen uh, with rainfall in early November. So hopefully we continue to get those bursts and uh, that brings some levels back up again. Are you hearing of any areas out there in the uh, ag community where, where bores are doing it a little bit tough? Um, I haven't uh, personally. Um, uh, recent times, I guess, um, you know, people just need to be conscious of, of their water use and, and check leaks in the systems. But I think, um, you know, given the bursts that we've had uh, and a little bit of activity around, um, you know, uh, I guess anyone's guess as to whether we'll get some more rain, but, but it's looking likely now that we've seen a bit of that break. And what about Catherine? Yeah, look, Catherine's looking fairly resilient down there. They, they, do tend to still drop uh, by about half a metre in the Cambrian limestone, but it is uh, 40 centimetres above last year, and that's because the characteristics of that aquifer, unlike in Darwin Rural where it's that fill and spill aquifer, um, the Cambrian limestone has a good storage capacity. So things are looking good. We had some late wet season rains in March, April, uh, I might recall, uh, which was um, you know well-received and, I guess, uh, people in the area may have started to irrigate later, uh, but also that's translated in the aquifer having a little bit more resilience, which is great. Mm, yeah. We only just heard in the last few days that some of those mango farms have been putting on a little bit of extra water because it's been so hot. Oh, it certainly has. Um, yeah, look, it's been really, really hot. So, you know, hopefully that those bursts that we see up in Darwin sort of translate down a bit further south. So we just have to keep an eye on it. Bring on the rain, Adrian Costa. Thanks so much for your time on the Country Hour. <laughs> Pleasure to be with you, Matt. Adrian Costa, the NT's Director of Water Assessment. Rain, rain, where is it? 
We need more of it, and uh, and stay away lightning. That's the uh, that's the request, isn't it, for so many in the Northern Territory at the moment. I'm joined in the studio again by Dan Fitzgerald. Dan, the pastoral land board of the Northern Territory has got a few new faces. Yeah, it's got six new members, Matt. Uh, so these fresh faces that have joined the board are Alan Andrews. He's a long-time yeah. Territory cattleman. Uh, Danny Hayes from Minoroo Station. Dr. Michael Wellington, the former chief vet, Dr. Sue Fitzpatrick. Okay. Gemma Lake and Paul Burke, formerly of the NT Farmers Association. Um, the Department of Environment put out bit of a release about this saying that collectively now the board has applied experience across nine of the 11 pastoral districts and together with specialist members provides for one of the strongest compositions of the board to date. Okay and Paul Burke will be taking over as chair of the pastoral land board. We look forward to having him on the country hour very soon. It's 16 past one and you are tuned into the country hour. Up next we'll be heading to the port to find out why prawn trawlers home early. Hi, I'm Dione Walsh from Range IQ and I'm in Alice Springs teaching a grazing course and you're listening to the Country Hour. We've just been given a note from Bushfires NT which says it's responding to fire along the Ross Highway between Undulia Gap and Corroboree Rock east of Alice Springs. It says water bombing assets have been deployed to slow the progression of this fire to allow ground crews to get in there and respond. Fire conditions are intense and thick smoke is impacting this area. Intermittent road closures will be in place while water bombing is undertaken. Bushfires NT also wants to remind people to not fly drones over these fire grounds. If drones are detected, aircraft will be stood down to ensure their safety. So that's just been absolute lose-lose. So that's the latest information there from Bushfires NT. Make sure you stay tuned to ABC Local Radio throughout the afternoon, your emergency broadcaster. Now, prawn trawlers working in the Gulf of Carpentaria, they've pulled up their nets early this year and headed back to port almost a month before the tiger prawn season actually ends. And this has happened mostly because of economic reasons. Charlie McKillop was on the Cairns Wharf as prawn boats were being unloaded and spoke to Austral's operations manager, Brian Van Wick. Look, there's no secret it has been economically challenging this year. These trawlers are very fuel-hungry, and, and that's certainly the biggest driver of the economic pressure. I think we're around 60 to 100% up on fuel price compared to our 10-year average, and we're not the only ones. Every Just about every fishing uh, business in Australia is feeling it. Uh, certainly doesn't make it very easy when you when you lose your mothership, your primary source of getting fuel on the ground. So a lot of uh, operators have had to steam quite a distance to get into Karumba to take fuel there and obviously burn more fuel. So that, that's definitely the one of the biggest drivers on the economic pressures. Has that also been part of the, the driver for coming home to port rather than fuel up and, and go again? Yeah, certainly. It's probably one of the, the biggest drivers, just the logistical nature of trying to get fuel in that fishery. By the time you steam to a, a port or a less productive area to get it, you, you do the sums, It's you're probably better off just to come home early and, and give, give some of the fishing grounds a bit of a rest towards the end anyway. How big a proportion of your overall operating cost does uh, fuel as an input make up? Yeah, so fuel's generally around 15% of our turnover. We've essentially seen that double, so we're sitting around 34 to 35% of our turnover is fuel at the moment. Ouch, that has got to, that's got to hurt. 
Oh, definitely. We're talking millions of litres of fuel, so big numbers. What does that mean now at the kind of the sharp end of marketing these prawns? Are your customers primed and, and uh, ready to pay more for premium wild-caught product from the Gulf of Carpentaria? Yeah, well, this uh, our tiger prawns generally get exported overseas. There's a lot stronger appetite overseas for that higher premium price. Um, certainly Australians are feeling the pressure economically. Uh, remember, we're still... We're still feeling the pain from uh, our banana prawn season where we saw oh, the best catch we've had in over a decade, which caused a bit of a market collapse. Um, so the good news is for Australians that there'll be some very cheap prawns coming Christmas in uh, the supermarket chains. But uh, for tiger prawns, uh, most of this stuff is going to be exported. It is certainly uh, a difficult market. It's, it's probably a harder market to move than previous years, even overseas. There's plenty of activity still happening down here at the Cairns Wharf as the Northern Prawn Fleet returns at the end of the Tiger Prawn Season 2023. Operations Manager for Austral Fisheries, Brian Van Wick, just sharing with us some of the, the pain of the season, the economic pain. The catches have been there, but it's taken a lot of work and a lot of money uh, to pull those prawns in and bring them home. Brian Van Wick, I just wonder, you alluded to one of the biggest challenges, the biggest uh, logistical hurdle is the absence of a mothershipping service. How have you coped without it and what kind of impact has uh, the loss of Sea Swift had on the MPF? Well, this is the first time in, yeah, probably over 40 years this fishery hasn't had commercially available mothershipping. But funnily enough, I think there was even three motherships at one stage during this season. We ended up chartering one just to get fuel around. Uh, I know another company did a little bit out of Darwin, but even still, uh, essentially, people had to still go into Karumba to get fuel, which which made it incredibly costly. Uh, The real big question is what we're going to do next year. And uh, currently, we haven't got an answer to that one. We, there are several options, or hopes, I should say. Um, obviously, Sea Swift are the, in the best position to return to service, but whether or not they will find it viable enough to return, um, we're not sure. The other options would be, um, there is currently one that's obviously used by Raptus. Um, maybe we could do something there, we're not sure. It's probably not big enough to do the whole fishery. Um, The only other alternative is to really, unless someone else from the outside comes into our fishery, we're going to have to do something ourselves. Um, The banana prawn season, which is our next season in April, is not so heavily reliant on motherships. Generally, the catches are close to ports like Karumba. Um, But the the real big question is the tiger prawn season in August. Um, The areas we fish are just so far away from ports, so remote, that really the only way to be viable is to have some sort of a mother shipping service to deliver fuel and take product back to land. And to have three vessels kind of doing the job in different ways doesn't sound like it's a very economically efficient way of getting the job done. No, absolutely not. I mean, it was a very short notice... uh, decision that was uh, dumped on us it was the best alternative at the time but yeah it's not it's definitely not the way forward we really really hope to see one um, at the most two in this fishery that's really that's really all that's viable with uh, 52 boats in total when you've got these other high costs all adding to your bottom line and the cost of production and no real sign of, of a bounce in the market to compensate you for that, at what point do your shareholders start to question whether uh, your involvement in the fishery is going to be viable? Yeah, well, they're all the difficult questions kind of being asked at the moment. Uh, look, I don't want to be all negative. Uh, there are positives here biologically and in terms of ecosystem health. 
we've got probably one of the best resources in the world. You know, they're annualised species generally. Uh, it's just the market conditions. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still hopeful that there will be a change and uh, we're, we're looking ahead here. So short-term pain, but long-term we hope to see this fishery bounce back. Righto, mate. Well, thanks very much for having a yarn with the ABC down here at Trinity Wharf in Cairns at the end of uh, Tiger Prawn Season 2023. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, big thanks to Austral's Operations Manager, Brian Van Wick, speaking to Charlie McKillop. Just coming back to that advice we've just received from Bushfires NT. It's responding to a fire along the Ross Highway between Undulia Gap and Corroboree Rock to the east of Alice Springs. Water bombing assets have been deployed to slow the progression of this fire to allow ground crews to get in and respond. Fire conditions are intense and thick smoke is impacting that area. It says uh, intermittent road closures will be in place while water bombing is undertaken. At the moment on the NT Roads website, it just says smoke is affecting visibility on the Stewart Highway to the north of the Alice and also on the Santa Teresa and Maryvale Roads to the south of town and also on the Lassiter Highway between Stewart Highway intersection and the Curtin Springs entrance. So a lot of fire again in central Australia. Make sure you stay up to date via ABC Radio. Hydrangeas are an old favourite, but did you know there's lots of new varieties? Check them out in the latest issue of Gardening Australia magazine. Learn about cottonheads. They're the cute cousins of the kangaroo paw. Choose a trailing plant for your home and learn how to grow flavoursome tomatoes, oranges and corn. Plus, get tips on prepping for a dry summer. ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Available at newsagents and abcmagazines.com.au. It is time now on the Country Hour to head to the sale yards. With all the latest prices out of Dublin, here is John Traeger. Good afternoon. Quality was again extremely mixed as agents offered 80 live weight and open oxen cattle with the usual buyers and attenders and operating. Pastoral yearling steers sold from 200 to 203 cents with local calves selling from 158 to 204 cents. Medium yearling heifers sold sold to 212 cents with cows to 130 cents. Yearling bulls ranged from 140 to 180 cents and grown bulls sold from 100 to 105 cents. This is John Traeger at the South Australian Livestock Exchange for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the Country Hour. Thank you, John. A small yard in there at Dublin, not much to report at all. And there's, unfortunately, not much to report in the live export trade. According to the Darwin Ports calendar, there are no live export ships due in over the next seven days. And sadly, so many NT cattle producers are out fighting fires this afternoon. If you missed our top story today, then you missed... The epic tale of Colvin Devereaux, a cattle producer from the top end who managed to escape a crocodile attack by literally biting back. He shook me straight away, shook me like a rag doll, and he took off in the water about three metres, pulled me. I kicked him in the ribs and, and managed to have a bite. Now that full interview is now up on our website, so if you missed it, just type in NT Country Hour and you'll be able to find that interview. Colin sharing that incredible story with us this afternoon. Again, we wish him all the best with his recovery. I hope you enjoyed the program. Keep it rural.